Hey guys, it's Nora Princiati. And I'm Nathan Hubbard. And we're back with another season of Every Single Album. This time, we're talking about one of the best-selling boy bands of all time, One Direction. Their story is a fascinating look at both the commercial and human sides of being a young artist. We'll be breaking down every single One Direction album and then exploring the careers of Harry Styles, Niall Horan, and the rest of the band after their 2015 split, leading up to the release of Harry's new album on May 20th. And we've got some fun new categories, Nora. Including the most swoon-inducing lyrics. And the suckiest ones. The peak moments for each band member and who won the album. We even got a brand new game. So, calling all Directioners, Harry's, and more, Join us on the Every Single Album feed starting April 11th, every Monday and Thursday. On Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. All right, today is Thursday, April 7th. Uh, we are going to be talking about a tough situation today, the Bruce Willis saga. For those who haven't been following, uh, Recently, there was an LA Times story that detailed his battle with aphasia, which is a cognitive disorder that affects your ability to communicate and often develops in people who have had strokes, although we don't know if Bruce Willis had a stroke. Um, but as sad as this whole situation is, and the fact that he's retiring from acting and his family has kind of gone public with it, there is an interesting business angle to this story in that what responsibility the people around a star who's clearly having problems um, have to intervene and to say to him, maybe it's time to step back, even though everybody is making money off of the situation as it goes forward. So we're going to get into that a little bit today with Amy Kaufman, who is a writer at the LA Times. She actually wrote the story that detailed his condition, and uh, she has a lot to say about who knew what and when. Uh, but before that, Craig, I just noticed in my email uh, which something that surprised me. Uh, Winning Time, the Lakers show on HBO, which I thought was going to be a limited series about the Lakers in the 80s, was just renewed for a second season. Uh, what do you think season two is going to be about here? Well, if they had trouble casting somebody Magic Johnson's size, Shaquille O'Neal is going to be really difficult. Yeah. Do you think they're going to go all the way to the 2000s? I mean, are we, are we going to get the 90s Lakers here? Are we going to get a, a, someone playing Nick Van Exel? Well, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe were drafted in the 90s. So hmm. they don't have a ton of time here. It's so weird, though, because the first episode of Winning Time is Magic, Magic is diagnosed with HIV. 
So I assumed that the show would be all about the 80s. And then at the end, it would be about his announcement. The show would end. But here we are five episodes into the first season, and they haven't even really gotten into the main season yet. So like maybe just maybe the first season's just 1980. Let me tell you, there's nothing I hate more than when a show was originally planned to be limited and then it is switched to be a right. multi-season series. Right. I will never get back that second season of Big Little Lies. That is for sure. Exactly. Exactly. I, get in, get out. Leave them wanting more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I like Winning Time a lot. I think it's a great show. I love the style of it. But uh, I don't know if I need to see four or five seasons of this. I agree. All right. Enough about Winning Time. Um, we're going to get into our conversation about Bruce Willis. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. We are here with Amy Kaufman. Amy is a senior entertainment writer at the LA Times. I know her. We are usually award show buddies. We will hang out at the Golden Globes or the Oscars, which we recently did. Uh, I saw you chasing down Wanda Sykes at the Governor's Ball. Uh, but she is not here to talk about that. She is here to talk about a definitely sadder story and one that I think affected a lot of people, which is the Bruce Willis situation. She and her colleague Meg James wrote a piece for the LA Times last week. I believe it was last week now. Um, just diving into some of the onset issues that have come up with Bruce Willis over the past few years as he has battled this ailment that he's suffering from um, and doing so in secret. You know, there was a, a, a team around him. What I want to get into today is the issue of what responsibility the people around an actor may or may not have for his well-being if it's pretty clear that he's not doing well. Um, so first of all, Amy, welcome. How are you? Good, Matt. Good to see you. As you said, not at an award show, although I do love our gossip sessions when we're <laughs> both stalking celebrities from afar. Exactly. Um, so you co-bylined this story with Meg and did a lot of reporting in advance of Bruce Willis's family going public with struggles with this disease, aphasia, which really affects your ability to understand where you are. Um, and it, you know, it played out on movie sets because this is a guy that has made 22 films in four years. He's worked out contracts where he only has to shoot for two days. Um, he only is limited to eight-hour days, but he often worked only four. And he had this large entourage around him, including a handler who was getting $200,000 per movie as a producer on some of these and a team of prompters and stand-ins to make this all work. But what, what do you think the responsibility is for the people around him? Because they don't end up looking great in the story. It looks kind of like a cash grab. Like they're just kind of propping him up and getting him to these sets to make a buck. Is that, was that your impression or is it more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated than that. And I think the reader response to the story actually really exemplified that. In fact, this week we had, uh, you know, the letter representative, I guess, for the paper wrote to me and Megan was like, just so you guys know, there's some, you know, uh, negative feedback to the story. And I want you to not be surprised by some of the letters. And basically what some of, some of them literally said, like, um, 
I want to commend Randall Emmett, Stephen Eads, and like Corey Large, who were some producers and handlers involved in Bruce's movies, um, for not commenting on the story. You know, uh, basically they saw the story as getting into the nitty gritty details of Bruce's decline. And some people saw that as, I guess, you know, salacious. Um, Whereas like when we approached this story, obviously is incredibly sensitive. And we were like, how do we write about this without, first of all, at the time, no one knew about Bruce's condition. So we did not want to be like outing him. You know, it's like someone's, it should be allowed to discuss their condition or their family should be allowed to discuss it in the way they want to. But also, um, I think, you know, exactly what you're getting at is like at the crux of the the story, which is like, is this exploitation or is this a man who has other reasons for starring in 22 films over four years? Some of those reasons being maybe he needs money uh, to set up his family after, you know, he has this decline. Maybe his medical uh, uh, costs are really high. Um, we don't, you know, when you people are like, well, how couldn't he be so rich after all these years of working? It's like when you're that rich, you're spending a lot of money too. Remember, this is a guy who like bought a town back in, you know, I think it was the 90s. Planet, don't forget Planet Hollywood. That did yeah. not ultimately go great. Yeah, exactly. no, I, I mean, that's two, this is two separate issues because I think what you're referring to initially is the backlash to you guys writing about this, which I get why people think that. I don't think that kind of criticism is valid. I think this is absolutely a matter of public interest. I mean, this is a guy who was misfiring guns on set. And, you know, arguably putting his co-stars in danger. And it's a financial issue. I mean, there is, for people who don't know, there is an entire business that is built on casting movie stars that are known, but are sort of in the tail end of their career in films that are low budget and can be sold internationally based on the value of that actor's name. And it appears that this is the business that Randall Emmett was in, where he was taking Bruce Willis, getting enough footage of him on set in the movie to essentially put him on the poster and have him be in enough of the movie where he can sell it to these foreign distributors that will then put it on their VOD service or put it in their output deals. That's an entire business. It depends on the star showing up. And all the incentives here are to get this guy in just enough footage to be able to market and sell this movie. So, you know, regardless of whether he wanted to be there or was trying or telling his agents, please get me four movies this year, I need money. You know, it does raise these issues of like, the guy clearly wasn't well and people knew it. And you quoted people in your stories saying, you know, I was concerned about this and was was told that he's better now. But then it, he got on set and he wasn't better. And the guy felt uncomfortable being in that situation. So when you when you're talking to these people, was there a sense that this might have been the wrong thing to be doing? Yeah, I think in a long-winded way I was that's what I was trying to get to was saying, you know, listen, like so basically his handlers um and the producers who worked with him who weren't just Randall Emmett, it was this other guy Corey Large who made about half of the 22 he did in the last 4 years. Um they would come and explain the situation as like, listen, Bruce first of all the directors and the uh, DPs, the crew members on a higher level, uh, not like the really below the line people, were not even informed of the situation until they got to set, in most cases, unless they had worked with Bruce prior, obviously. Um, they would get there and one of the producers or the handlers would be like, listen, 
you know, I just want you to know this is not the Bruce Willis you're used to seeing uh, from the Die Hard era. He he's a little bit older now. Things are going to be different. Then they would be introduced to the earpiece guy who was feeding Bruce lines through um, an inner ear earpiece and. Even that was kind of like, okay, well, some actors do that. You know, they have trouble remembering their lines. Maybe that's not a huge deal. But then when literally they would say like action would start and they'd be like, oh, okay, we're dealing with something entirely different. And some people were told at the time they they were, it was described to them as early onset dementia. It was not described as aphasia. So to me, that is the issue. It's not like you were saying, it's not, you know, some like elder care and um, gerontology experts I was speaking to said it's not really even about the diagnosis. Diagnosis, like many people who have this condition can continue to work and there can be accommodations made for them. But the question is, can they do the job at hand? And the concerns that the people in the story were expressing is that there were issues with him doing the job in, in terms of safety, in terms of, you know, um, just getting the job done in the, in the time allotment. And so that at the end of the day, it is a larger issue. And the people who got to set didn't have the chance to even like really agree to that until they were in the situation, which I find problematic. Yeah. And that obviously makes it newsworthy because it's an, it becomes a business issue then. Um, do you, I, I don't want to ask you about the sourcing elements here, but did the, did the family go public in advance of your story to kind of coordinate getting in front of that we have not had any confirmation of that. Um, I had no idea that the announcement was coming. Um, we had been reporting for about two to three weeks prior to that, and we'd made like dozens of calls. So yes, is it very likely that they got wind of the story? Probably. Um, we never heard definitively either way. But um, when it went up, we were like, okay, wow, we were not expecting that. Fortunately, we'd already done a lot of reporting. And in a way, it was. I'm actually really glad it went that way because um, he was able to announce it in on his own terms and it and it didn't have to come from us and um we could just then you know fill in the gaps with with the reporting to sort of contextualize everything that makes a lot of sense so when you're talking to representatives like Bruce Willis represented for a long time by CAA um what is their position on this they did not comment for the story but if what is your sense of how the representatives feel about these situations is it we work we work for the client the client tells us what to do. The client says he wants to work and we get him work. Or is it, are they in sort of denial about his condition? I mean, keep in mind, this is an agency that has worked with him for decades and has been through an entire career with him. I think it might be difficult for representatives to say, man, you know, we need to have this guy step back. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even being cryptic here. I wish I could give you a better answer, but they were, would not budge on this. Like we really got very little from CAA who, as you say, has repped him for a long time. He has a whole big team of agents there. And if he's making, you know, around $2 million a movie or making a lot of money off of this situation and to give, I'm not going to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, but it's, it does seem like, of course, the filmmakers who are witnessing him in these situations had a better sense of what was actually going on on a year-to-year or month-to-month basis. Um, it really sounded like most of the information is coming from his producing partner um, slash handler, Stephen Eads. Everyone would say this was the guy. Um, and he has like an email address at Willis Brothers Productions, you know, um, and he did not respond to repeated, repeated requests for comments. So um, I think a lot of people got their information about Bruce's health from him on set, and maybe he was also the one relaying it to CAA. Um, 
And this is the guy who is getting $200,000 a movie, and presumably his business goes away now. Uh, I would think so, since he started as Bruce Willis's assistant and kind of has been with Bruce Willis his entire career. Um, Seems to be around Bruce's age. Like, it seems like they came up together. So, um, And Bruce Bruce Willis isn't that old. He's 67 years old. I know. It's it's like, yeah, the whole situation is really sad. But, I mean, to get back to your question, I think, like, so the Steven and these other producers, when when uh, filmmakers who were on set and were alarmed by what they were seeing um, would go to them and be like, dude, what's the deal here? Like, is this kosher? You know, and they the repeated thing we were hearing was that they were told, we ask Bruce every single day, do you want to be doing this? Is this what you want to be doing? And he tells us, yes. And so the question to me is like, how do you decipher when someone who has this condition is able to answer that, like, yeah. Because you also, you also quote in the story him saying, I know why you're here and I know why you're here, but why am I here? Right. Like when he's literally about to shoot a scene, like he's Bruce Willis, like he doesn't know why he's on a movie set. Right. And he doesn't, you know, I think this is when, listen, I don't know the ins and outs of aphasia, but like if you've been doing something for years and years, you're like, of course I want to work or, you know, like who knows right. what you're, what's going through your head. And to me, it reminded me of like, you know, when um, the parents of kid actors will say like, listen, I tell her all the time, honey, if you don't like this, we can quit. We can go home. You can go back to school any anytime you want. Just like say the word. And I'm like, they're kids. They don't they don't know what they want. Like mm. they don't, you know, I, I don't know if that's like a good, I'm not equating Bruce Willis to a kid, but I'm just saying. Um, no, I get it. Yeah. It's, it's and there's lots of, I mean, and he's not alone. There are lots of actors and others who stay beyond when they should step out because it's their identity. This is who they are. And they feel like if they give it up, they're giving up their life. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, this is a fascinating article um, you and Meg James wrote in the LA Times. Um, I think it's a really sad and kind of interesting business issue as well. Matt, have you heard about this, by the way? No, it's funny you say that because a lot of people were tweeting that this was an open secret and that, you know, oh, everyone knew Bruce Willis was in decline. I had no idea. I had never heard that. We had never talked about this story at Hollywood Reporter. We had known that he had taken this turn where he was doing garbage movies for the past four or five years. But a lot of actors in his age range start doing that. They turn into Jean-Claude Van Damme or, you know, uh, even Schwarzenegger does that kind of stuff these days. So you never know why someone's doing it. It could just be money. I know that's the, the, it's. I didn't know about it at all either. And when I, we started asking people about this, it, it was the same reaction. It was like, oh yeah, like uh, Bruce Willis has dementia. And we're like, wait, what? Like that was what people were saying, as if it was this just accepted fact in ho- in this part of Hollywood. And um, mm. yeah, I was very surprised to learn that as well. So I guess it was not as open a secret. Yeah. As they said. All right. Thank you to Amy Kaufman for coming on and talking about a really tough situation. Appreciate it. We will read your work in the LA Times. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Today, we are looking at the weekend, the weekend box office. It's an interesting one because we've got a huge sequel in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, which I have unfortunately seen. Took my six-year-old to a media screening. Actually, I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's fine. It's totally great kids movie. He liked it so much he wants to go back this weekend with all of his friends from school. So that's a good sign. 
And that's projected to make about 55, 60 million. I think it's probably safe to take the over on that one. It'll probably do better. The more interesting topic is Ambulance, which is a Michael Bay extravaganza that I think is going to struggle. Here's my call. It's going to struggle to get to double digits here. It will, I think. It'll probably just go a little bit over 10 million, but it's really going to struggle, which will be a not so great result for Michael Bay, who's used to huge returns on the Transformers movies, though this one costs about 40 million bucks. So not that big. Are you going to be seeing Ambulance this weekend, Craig? Absolutely not. This movie feels like, honestly, as most Michael, I think after Six Underground, maybe even going all the way back to the 13 Hours movie, but starting with Six Underground, the Netflix movie, all of his movies are, are they feel like parodies of Michael Bay at this point. This, this movie, Ambulance, the, the plot is two robbers steal an ambulance after their host goes awry. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal playing a guy named Danny Sharp. It's just, it's just a parody. This is an SNL skit. I will say the explosions look pretty damn cool. Sure. And Michael Bay is on record talking about the science and art of explosions. And uh, it might be worth going to a theater just to see shit blow up. He has smartly just leaned into that. I'm explosions guy. Yeah, you know, and and I think he recognizes that outside of Transformers, he's had some busts. You know, Six Underground was terrible. And the previous movie before that, the Benghazi movie, 13 Hours, um, that movie only made like 60-something million worldwide, which for a Michael Bay movie is pretty darn bad. And, you know, I don't know why they would put the word Benghazi in a movie title, but um, they did, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. And that movie will forever be famous because it was the movie that John Krasinski agreed to star in in exchange for being able to direct A Quiet Place. Why did he need permission? Why did he need to do this? Why, why did he have to have Michael Bay's company produce A Quiet Place? Uh, be, he wrote it, but I believe they he had sold it to them and they were developing it and he wanted to direct it. And they were a little, you know, obviously a little concerned about that. And they did a deal where they said, okay, you star in this movie for us and we'll let you direct this other one. So, so is your official prediction that Ambulances will be the lowest grossing Michael Bay movie of all time? I don't know. I think 13 Hours is pretty low. This one, you know, it has enough explosions to maybe get over that hump worldwide. Um, but an opening weekend in the single digits is not going to help. So hopefully it'll get above that. And speaking of parody, his next movie, according to his IMDb, which is announced, is a movie titled Robopocalypse. Is that based on the comic book? Not sure. Yeah, I think Robopocalypse is a property, um, is something. But you know what? Seems a little bit more in his wheelhouse. Yeah, more more power to him. Keep going, Michael. Yeah. he You know, he moved to Florida during the pandemic. He like closed up his offices in L.A. and took everything to Florida. That feels right. Yeah, I feel like he is the personification <laughs> of Florida. Um, I could see him cruising around Miami, bad boy style. All right. I want to thank Amy Kaufman for discussing Bruce Willis with us. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck for producing the show. I want to thank you, our listeners, and we will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.